right. Well, let's just get to it. Welcome back. This is Person of Interest uh, with me, Natalie Jones. This is volume two of Tim Spector. We talked for 90 minutes total, and I really made sure that I asked pretty much every question that y'all wrote to me, DM me on Instagram and Facebook, and a lot of people texted and emailed. So I tried to ask as many as I could. So we do a lot of random questions, and then the second half we get really into discussion about health and wellness in general. And I love his overarching theme and theory about health and wellness and gut microbiome in general. And that comes up in pretty much every answer, which is to diversify and less processed foods, which I freaking love that. More plants, the better. Excitingly, I'm on the Zoe journey right now. I'm wearing a blood glucose monitor and I am, um, I sent in a stool sample and a blood sample. When I get my test results, Tim is actually going to walk me through them and we're going to do another podcast and I'm going to, gosh, put all of my results out there. We'll see how this goes. But right now, please enjoy this, the second volume of my interview with Tim Spector. And he is Zooming, and you can hear Lawnmower in the back a little bit, but that's okay. That's just laugh, y'all. Like, subscribe, do all those things. Remember, follow um, Tim on Twitter, at Tim Spector, and on Instagram at Join Zoe and Join Zoe on Facebook, and also joinzoe.com. Enjoy this. Well, talking about, let's go back to, to diet, furthering that when it comes to children. We have here, what are most foods kids are missing in their diets? And what is something you can communicate to parents um, to help their kids' gut biome and health-wise? The problem in the US and the UK is that we tend to treat kids very differently to adults. And we give them children's menus and children's foods in the supermarkets. And most countries don't do that. Um, and uh, this has been a way of driven by marketing, and it's really a way of, of giving kids more and more ultra-processed food, even than adults. Mm-hmm. And so they have their special kids' yogurts and things like this, which are basically just sugar. Yeah. Contain nothing good at all. And, you know, in general, they have less fiber, they have more chemicals. And so, you know, they in general should be trying eating what the adults are eating and get them used to real food earlier. Um, you know, there was all this stuff a few years back about, Oh, well, you know, we must give them bland food as they'll get allergies. The opposite seems to be true. The more you can introduce diversity early to kids, um, you have a small window of opportunity before the age of three, when they start throwing things back at you, um, to get lots of food into them and get them used to strange textures, get them used to broccoli, spinach more bitter flavors because at the moment most kids are just given sweet things and so obviously they you know everyone every human is evolved like sweet things but their threshold gets higher and higher so it's very hard to get anything that is like a natural vegetable uh, for them to like so it's about introducing these things early getting them to touch it feel it play with it um, and I think that's that's the key in a way to get a variety of vegetables and plants just like you would adults. Uh, and even if they reject it, just keep you know giving it back to them until they start to uh, realize it's it's fine. So I think that's the number one thing because they're generally deprived of fiber, uh, most kids. And the bigger variety they have, you know, they need their immune systems just like we do. Um, 
and it that first three years is probably the most crucial in terms of building up their own gut microbes and their own immune system. So uh, again, diversity of plants, keeping them away from ultra sweet stuff. You know, I'm not saying never, but you know, they shouldn't always be having there with a fruit juice. No kid needs fruit juice uh, other than as a special treat. Um, and getting them used to interesting flavors, textures, bitterness, full sourness, you know, the full range. Um, the Koreans introduced their kids very early to kimchi. Gotcha. What did you okay. serve your kids when they were young? Oh, the wrong things. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I, I got it wrong. You know, I, I was just using the, uh, uh, you know, traditional medical advice, uh, which uh, in retrospect was wrong. Um, and of course, you know, I, I realize they're going to be, you know, mums and dads listening out there who've got you know terrible toddlers that, that you know are, and they just do anything for peace and quiet so I understand that I'm just telling you what they should do not necessarily yeah. what I was able to do but we did uh, we did have a, a wide variety of foods and so I, I you know I do remember giving my kids curries and olives and pickled pickled foods very early on and I think although they you know might have rejected it later they did come back to it because they had a sort of memory of it. So I think we, we went half the way there. I, I didn't do as good a job as I would have liked to have done. <laughs> but but no, nobody's perfect. So, so what, what are some easy chemicals that parents can read on labels to avoid as much as possible when buying food for their kids? First, look, look at the label. And uh, if it's got 10 ingredients or more, you know it's ultra-processed. That's the first sort of warning sign. And we know in general that if, if, you, if, you, if, it's, if you give an equivalent of ultra processed and, and whole foods to kids or adults, even the same calories to start with, they'll eat more during the day. And so it actually increases appetite uh, through ways we don't yet understand. Yeah. So, it, it is the, the key, I think, on any label is, is working out how processed is this food. Now, we all eat processed foods, including myself. It's impossible to avoid. But getting to know what the labels mean, and this, you know, I talk about this in, in Spoon Fed, is, is, uh, is an art because the label is there to fool you. It's there to hide things. And it sticks labels on it like low cal, low fat, um, you know, high in vitamin C, high in zinc. You've got to ignore all that and just say, how many ingredients does it have? Can I spell or any of them? You know, would I have any of them in my kitchen? And if you don't recognize most of them, it's ultra processed food. And I think that's the most important message uh, to give. But the least ingredients that you have on the label, generally, the, the more, the less processed it is and the better it is, you know, and if there's anything else, I mean, fiber content is good mm -hmm. uh, in general, and most ultra processed foods have very little fiber. That's another clue. Yeah. And uh, you may or may not worry about sugars, um, but beware of just things saying low in sugar because it's, it's all relative and that just means they're giving you artificial sweeteners instead, which for your kid will, um, just give them an even sweeter tooth uh, going forward and, and may 
may cause problems, we think, for their gut microbes as well. So it's, it's a jungle out there. Um, and, you know, and ideally, you know, in the, in the ideal world, we wouldn't buy things in packets. We'd be like going to our Italian or Spanish market, just picking everything up and, and seeing what it is and making our own food. But in, in the real world, in, you know, downtown Cincinnati, you've got to go to a, a store and get your stuff. Yeah. And you, you need to know how to look at that label. And, and, you know, when you've got a choice, try and make the one based on that. And if, you know, uh, uh, and it's that list of ingredients and those names that you can't, you wouldn't have in your kitchen. They're the ones to avoid. I don't, we mustn't get fixated on, on one particular ingredient. I think that's okay. a danger because the manufacturer is always changing the names anyway. They, every year they update it, uh, you know, they, so there's about, there's 40 names for sugar. Yeah. Right? Glucose, uh, sucrose, sucrose, which ones should we really be worrying about? Or which ones should we pay attention to? What does it mean? All, all of them. They all, they're, all, they're, all, they're all there to fool you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they call it reduced sugars. They call it um, uh, agave syrup. Uh, you know, make it sound healthier. It comes from a cactus. Mm -hmm. um, you know, beet <laughs> juice. Uh, you know, berry, berry juice, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's all the same. So I think that's the other thing we need to look at is realize that they're trying to fool you. They're allowed to do it by law and they will keep changing the names of it. You know, they, there was this thing about, it was bigger in Europe than the US, but we had things like E-numbers. Um, uh, these were special additives. So all the companies did was they just changed to their chemical name and then they changed it to having something that was modified you know so you could have uh celery ec extract or something yeah which sounds very healthy but actually uh isn't uh and it's just it's to get around and to give it what they call a clean label so there's a lot of there's a lot of fiddling goes on so don't get obsessed about one item look at the whole package and just uh Look at fiber, look at sugar, look at the number of ingredients and uh, make your choice based on that. And just say, you know, is there something I could buy that's a lot simpler instead? Put two things together myself rather than buying it already made. In general, that, that's always going to be a healthier option. Uh, um, how do you feel about microplastics and microplastics in our world and our food and especially them lowering our testosterone levels? The... I'm certainly worried about microplastics mm -hmm. and for people who uh, eat a lot of fish uh, mm -hmm. and like me who like, love mussels and mm -hmm. the occasional oyster, mm -hmm. uh, it's a bit of a worry yeah. because they're the ones that absorb all these plastics from the sea. Um, but I don't think the data is out there yet about their health consequences. So uh, I don't think there's any solid evidence that it's microplastics are responsible for any of our health issues at the moment, but given the rate at which they're going up, uh, they certainly could be. Um, so I, I just think it's another reason that we can't uh, switch to eating fish instead of meat. Mm -hmm. um, and it's another argument that we need to be uh, really focusing on plant-based things that aren't as affected by microplastics as uh, as other areas. I mean, 
there are also microplastics in the air. So in certain parts of the world, you actually breathe in microplastics as well without having to eat, which is also worrying. So yeah, you know, whole plastics and buying food in plastic, which encourages it, is another bad thing. So again, try and look for stores that use less plastic and, uh, you know, uh, where you can vote with your, your wallet, do so. So what do you think is the influence of the chemicals we're talking about in our food and microplastics in causing things like rheumatoid arthritis and auto, autoimmune disorders that are prevalent so much? I don't think there's enough evidence yet to blame microplastics for that. I think, you know, microplastics are part of a big picture of our whole environment changing mm -hmm. and uh, includes pollution with particles, you know, from, uh, you know, automobile, you know, whether you live near a street that's got pollution in it, near factories, um, effects of global warming, um, sulfur, uh, you know, reduce overuse, killing off microbes in our normal environment. There's too many things to... Okay. Let's, you know, I think all these things are, uh, have a role, but we mustn't get obsessed about any one of them. The important thing is to, is to keep a, a general picture and say, yeah, you know, if you eat what's good for your microbes, generally you'll be eating what's good for the planet. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then, uh, then we'll all be healthier. And the two, these three things together do fit very nicely. So it's generally proven that, you know, a plant-based diet with, you know, that's, that's healthy for us is going to be healthy for us. And it's also healthy for the, the planet and you know, we'll have less plastic and less pollution. So um, I think keep the big picture in mind. Okay. Don't get, don't get too obsessed with this stuff, which may or may not be true in the future, but there'll always be something else uh, to worry about. So if you're just starting plant-based or you don't know much about it, what, what kind of guidelines can you give to someone who's going to the grocery store and there's so many plant-based options now that seem to be incredibly ultra-processed? What are some things we should keep in mind when making that decision at the grocery store? Um, well, I think I, I would start go to the, the vegetable aisle rather than the ready made food aisle. The um, imitation meat, burgers and hot dogs and oh, okay. that type of stuff. So are those really better for us than beef or chicken if someone's making a decision for health reasons? Um, it's sort of comparing uh, apples and oranges really. Um, okay. If, if you want to eat a, a cheap processed burger, you're probably better off having the uh, vegan alternative, right? Even if it's full of a bunch of crap, essentially? Yeah, because the processed burger will also be full of crap, right? Um, yeah. If you're gonna, you want to get the very best, you want to spend money no option on the very finest uh, free range grass fed Japanese beef mm -hmm. and, and have it that way, you're probably better off with that option. Okay, so um, I think for all the cheap ultra processed foods, my personal view is that um, the increasing number of processed versions of that are uh, at least as good for you as, as those ones and much better for the planet. Okay, so you are getting generally more fiber, you are getting um, 
some of the nutrients, the polyphenols, etc., that are good for your microbes than if you just had the cheapest uh, ultra-processed meat products with a bit of bread and scrapings off the floor uh, put in, which is in what's in your, you know, your average uh, cheap uh, bologna or um, uh, cheapest, you know, frozen burgers. So, which are also often full of antibiotics and other other things in the process of um, rearing those animals. So, I think it, you know, I, I think we have to realize that a lot of these alternatives are a way of getting people to think differently, to think that we are moving to a stage where very soon the the meat the good meat alternatives will be cheaper than the meat even the cheapest meat and at that point i think shoppers will start to switch over and we'll see the end of the the mass meat industry wow. and, there's also, and there's also data showing that um, meat stem cell meat this is laboratory made meat uh, within five years is going to be cheaper than the average burger Oh, no way. How do you feel about um, eating insects now to supplement like for protein and fiber? Do you support I, that? I love that idea. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, me too. So crickets and yeah. uh, these uh, these black flies, uh, which have these, uh, it's, it doesn't really nice to sound like it, but, uh, you know, they produce these maggots. Yeah, which you, you dry them out, but they're basically protein. They're just full of protein. And they're totally sustainable. You know, you grow them and they just eat waste from restaurants and things. Yeah, and yeah. they, you know, they are gaining traction. You know, you can buy them now in Whole Foods and um, on Amazon. Cricket flour everywhere, and there's mm -hmm. there's there's snacks. So definitely uh, alternate ways of, of protein that are uh, probably better for you. Then some of the, the cheaper alternatives are definitely there. So, so I, you know, I don't think anything. You know, I still like the. I would still eat meat once a month, right? Um, Only once. Occasionally, twice, but. And what do you? What, it's got to okay. be super good, high quality, right? I, I'm not going to have any rubbish. Okay. And I generally have a small amount of it. Helps my B12 levels, so I don't uh, need supplements, and. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be hard ever to replace that as a, a culinary item in terms of nutrition and taste. But I think 90% of all the meat can be replaced by these vegan alternatives or these um, insect alternatives or these lab, these lab stem cell alternatives within five years. So we're, we're going to see a big revolution uh, in this. And that's why all the meat companies are investing in these other companies because they know it's coming do you eat eggs i do yes um uh free range organic eggs and mm -hmm. i know that's that's a growing market in the u.s yeah. people do want to know their eggs come from happier hens um than the ones in, in the past or you know the other the other ones that aren't so lucky uh they're a good source of nutrition no evidence they're bad for you as long as you you know, you don't overdo it. You know, I, I wouldn't have more than one a day on average. Uh, oh, really? Okay. So I think the people who have three or four a day, I think are overdoing it. But the data isn't very clear. Maybe, you know, one or two, but not, not three or four eggs a day. Really? So I don't eat very much meat, but I do eat a lot of eggs, about three or four a day, like for breakfast and dinner. 
Oh, God, no way. Well, I'll start well, doing that now. I'm giving you epidemiology, which is the average, right? Yeah. As we've explained, no one's average. So you may, it may be okay for you, but. Mm. Um, I'm about to find out. And what, when you eat meat once a month, what meats, what, what are you eating? Well, I've been in Spain a lot of the summer, so uh, I would actually go for the very finest um, uh, ham, which is called pata negra, which is like the gourmet ham, mm -hmm. which uh, these animals are mollycoddled and they're fed on acorns and um, mushrooms and uh, live, live in the wild and uh yeah they just taste fantastic and um or you know if i was at a japanese restaurant i'd, I'd get some wagyu beef um wagyu some, something something special i'd have some venison mm. Um, mm -hmm. but it, it has to be special because I, I actually now find you know i can't overdo the meat once i've get, so given it up and i i don't i don't like those big portions i couldn't just have that giant t-bone on my plate anymore just yeah. doesn't doesn't work for me you know and, and meat is fine uh, we, we've we've shown this there's nothing wrong with good quality meat but it takes up room on your plate that you should leave for lots of different vegetables and i think that's the that's the key here it's it's trying to focus on complete meals not about single items it's saying you know what does my plate contain and on a, on a sort of regular basis and if you think of it that way you can have a small amount of meat as long as you've got four different veg on there or you know plenty of beans and mushrooms that's fine you know not a problem but it most people don't they would just have you know the steak and fries and that's it this is kind of on a total totally other realm my family has ataxia my mother is the fourth person in her family to be um she's on the the downward uh she she, she specifically has spinocerebellar ataxia and i'm curious do you think that, because that, that also is an autoimmune thing, do you think that any of these environmental factors are affecting things like uh, a genetic disorder that she has? We, we've seen big changes. I, mean, I used to study rheumatoid arthritis a lot and lupus, and we've seen big changes over the years in how common these diseases are. Mm -hmm. And genetics explains about half of the problem, but not all of it. And our genes do interact with our environment. And it's quite likely that the microbiome also plays a role. And we know that uh, generally our microbes, microbiomes as a population have got worse over the last 50 years as our diets have got worse and because of pollution. So I think the microbes are a key to actually regulating our immune system. So making sure we don't get food allergies and we don't get autoimmune diseases by overreacting. And so any change in the microbiome can influence your autoimmune state. And as we've said, microbiome can react to pollution, smoke, uh, antibiotics, um, microplastics, whatever. So all of these things are, are, are possible. In your genetic studies, did you find real evidence about the mind power over epigenetics, like meditating yourself into changing your genes? Sadly, not. No. Uh, so that's so that's not true. I mean, you know, like I've I've. But you, but you can eat yourself. You can eat yourself into changing your genes. Okay. Uh, so there's plenty of evidence in uh, in animals that 
you give animals the, the right diet, they can tweak their genes uh, in the right in the right direction or the wrong direction. So, really, you know, yeah. And every human can do that. Well, we haven't done enough uh, studies in humans, but we, we say, you know, in, in lab animals, we can uh, easily regulate, turn genes on and off through changes in diet. Yeah. Uh, but um, the reason I moved from epigenetics to the microbiome is because I think the effects are much larger in the microbiome. Mm. And we know definitely that you can influence your microbes by a change in diet very rapidly and in a visible way. And it's much easier to test your microbiome than it is to test your genes or your epigenes. So I, I think, you know, the emphasis really should be on, you know, most of your genes you're stuck with, right? And, um, but it's only half the story. And so really you need to um, focus on what you can change. And that for everyone is improving their diet to, get the best results for themselves and that means doing some basic things for your gut microbes but it's also personalizing your diet to fit your own metabolism and that's that's what we've been doing with these predict studies and the zoe studies etc and i think you know we may not understand all the mechanisms because science is still evolving but you know we should follow up the things we do know that work what do you think is some of the most dangerous diet or health myths that are um, big in the media and that are sensationalized that we can, um, that, you can that you can teach us to ignore? Well, I mean, the general one is that calories uh, are, are the most important thing about food and that is the number one myth. Okay. And so we should absolutely ignore that. Never, never pick a food based on its calorie count. It's just you should look at its quality. That's uh, so actually the driving force, and that's behind a lot of the advice behind the Zoe product as well, which moves away from this idea of calorie restriction, which has never been shown to work or help anyone long term in terms of diets. So I think that's propagated by the, the huge industry behind it. You know, there's a, a trillion dollar industry behind the diet business, and that's all led by calories. So that, that's that's the big one. I think the other one is that exercise is a way to lose weight. Again, lots of vested interest in that. Um, you know, the big drinks companies are always sponsoring the Olympics and uh, sporting events. They want, they want parents to think that if their kids, you know, play football, then they, you know, they can eat as much junk as they want. It doesn't matter. Absolutely, absolutely not true. Um, and then, of course, I, I think me personally, and this is where we may disagree, that you know you can cure lots of things with supplements. Um, you do believe that? No, I don't. No, I don't either. How do you feel about, I'm dying to know how you feel about supplements and vitamins. So to me, you know, it's, they're the, one of the most overhyped things in nutrition are supplements. It's an unregulated cowboy world, really. So um, basically, Virtually no supplements have been shown in any randomized trial to work in humans. And that goes for 99.5% of them. So when everyone's always recommending a, a supplement to someone or other, and people spend, you know, thousands of dollars on them every year. And it's, uh, it's crazy uh, for something that really doesn't work. And they should be spending their, their money on 
buying whole food, real food, you know, learning to cook better, this kind of stuff, which they say, oh, I can't afford that. But, you know, 50% of all Americans have a, you know, at least one supplement a day. So if I'm putting these, these powders in my smoothie, that isn't growing the gut, the, the gut diversity or that isn't helping me at all in any way? I don't know is the answer. Um, okay. They do vary. Um, there are some that are better than others, but generally there's no evidence behind it. And it's quite interesting because I, I believe that things like some of these fiber supplements, uh, there's something called inulin, which is quite a common one, and it's now being added to foods, processed foods. Uh, we did some trials on this uh, in, in our twins in, in London, and, and it turns out that you give this inulin powder, thinking it's gonna improve the diversity of your gut microbes, and it doesn't actually do that. It just helps a certain few of them grow because they like that particular inulin, because it's just too specific. Uh, you know, and real food, if you gave real food, it contains maybe a thousand chemicals. Whereas if you just give one, it can give a distorted idea of what's going on. So that's, uh, that's really understand the difference between food and supplements. So okay. food, you've got 500 to a thousand different chemicals, a supplement, you've got one. And, you know, why we don't know what's good about a food, we're guessing that it's that one bit of it that might be useful, but it's, we're doing it in the dark. So some supplements are gonna be harmful, some might be helpful. That's why, on average, we don't see any um, any benefit. Okay. So sometimes taking too many supplements obviously can be a bad thing. Yeah. No, there, there's, some studies have shown increased rates of cancer and things like that in, in people taking uh, too many supplements. Yeah. But, you know, if people spent as much time looking for supplements, you know, looking for good food and how to cook it, you know, we wouldn't have any problems. Yeah. But there's, not, but there's not but money, like, big money's not behind it. You know? I was going to say, that's just not how the world is. You know, fun fact, my dad has cancer. He has stage four cancer and he stopped taking his vitamins and he started to feel a lot better. He used to take 30 vitamins a day. He's a big bulky guy or a big um, muscle guy. Uh, lifts, lifts weights his whole life. Um, so do food sensitivities, do certain food sensitivities make you more susceptible to infections? In general, in general, people who have a lot of food sensitivities or food allergies have a less healthy gut microbiome, which in general would make them more susceptible to infections. Okay. And if someone who wants to improve their gut health, where do they go? Do they go to their doctor? Do they go to a gastro? Do they go to a nutritionist? Where can they start to, other than you and the Zoe program, where can someone go to start um, in, um, you know, to start their journey of improving their gut? Well, unless you're very lucky, you're not going to have a doctor who knows anything about this anywhere near you. Um, and so probably uh, I'd go for a nutritionist to look at your diet and reassess it and give you some advice about what's in the foods you're eating. You'd keep a diary and you'd get some idea of what's going on. I think they're more likely to know um, the latest is happening than sadly most doctors. Okay. How do you feel about cleanses? I recently did the salt water, the master cleanse. Oh, I think coming out of it was more detrimental to my body than the joy I felt being in it. I felt great when I was doing it, but then going back to normal life was rough. It was rough. 
Uh, well, I've got mixed feelings about cleansing because they're based on the idea that we're full of toxins we need to eliminate. Mm -hmm. And that's BS. You know, we, yeah. we're not full of toxins. Our bodies have evolved for millions of years to have kidneys and livers to get rid of our toxins. Okay. And the idea, it's, it's a sort of medieval idea that we were full of putrefying food and we need to cleanse it. Um, so that's, its premise is rubbish, but um, having, I had a few uh, colonoscopies uh, for science, of course, mm -hmm. and you know, I did feel slightly elated after my fast and purge mm -hmm. uh, for a short while. Um, so I can see why people do like them, but I think there's no evidence long-term they do any good at all, really. There's, okay. there's, there's no evidence for them. Is there one specific diet trend that's popularized that you think is total BS? Like one specific one and just that you personally are like, ugh, that is the worst. It is total BS. I think it's things like the alkaline diet would be the most sort of uh, crazy ones. What do, you, what do you mean by the alkaline, like anti-inflammatory diets? Well, they'll change name, but it was like, if you can change the pH of your intestines, you'll solve all your problems. So mm -hmm. um, it, it was that one. And that, that's led to lots of people dying. Uh, you know, people used to go to this ranch in California to get cancer treatments and uh, were given drips, you know, to try and change their, the acidity of their, their blood and things. And uh, Well, weren't they also doing the Gershon theory at the same time? How do you feel about like the validity of that, just out of curiosity? No, it's all pseudoscience, unfortunately. So uh yeah all, all this stuff and they'll keep coming up you know and they'll change the names and, and do other stuff but but uh, you know we've got enough amazing things happening in real science that we don't need to come up with um wacky theories that uh end up with someone selling you some magic potion or supplement you know mm -hmm. and the microbiome is just so amazing and we've we've got treatments for it which is called food we just yeah. need to work out how to put those two together uh, for individuals and you know we can all be our own alchemists we don't need some guru to tell us uh, how everyone's going to be cured you know but humans you know we 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 like those gurus you know sometimes we just uh just well, I, well I think it's it's empowering the human uh, empowering the individual which by the way is what Zoe's doing like I feel much more in control of what I'm doing I think that's um, a super key factor here that people feel like they don't know what they're doing. And so they trust all of these things that actually aren't helping them at all. And sometimes they're doing the opposite. So I think as you, I think agree, like uh, the education part of it is the most important, but how do you teach all these people stuff when they're being taught? How do you counteract that and make your theory more believed than what everyone's been told for so long? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's a step change to say, listen, don't believe what everyone else is talking about. This is all focused on you. You know, you're testing yourself. You get your results and you see what's happening to your body in real time. There's no bullshit. You know, it, it, you can see it for yourself. Uh, the scientists behind it are publishing real papers and you can, you know, in real journals, top journals like Nature and, and other ones and work in proper institutions. So there's a real difference between something that's driven purely by marketing and things that a you see yourself and you can go on the website and actually see that this uh this is real science but you know 
And I think this is the big change. And, and I think once you start to see this technology changing in real time, you know, you can go and make your glucose level go up and down. You realize that if you had, you know, someone else, I mean, I, when I did this, my wife, we had the same meal, we had completely different responses. And, you know, and hers were much better than mine. It was really annoying. Um, but that's real life. And that really brings it home to you how personalized this is and how everyone in a way has to go through their own journey and they might as well start now. I must say that you're such an advocate, obviously, for real science and saying that there, there, there are these journal, you know, all these, this information is out there. But the reality of it is the majority of the average intelligent average um, educated intelligence person doesn't know this information, doesn't know it exists, and is just eating what the signs are telling them to eat. So how do you think that can be changed? Does that make sense? People like you, you know, um, people listening, people telling other people about it, people reading, you know, books like uh, Spoon Fed, you know, I think it's a it's a ground up movement. The government isn't going to change anything because no. they're being bribed by the food industry. And, you know, everyone's happy in that scenario because food is cheap and governments in the US for the last, you know, 60 years have basically kept people happy by the foods being ever cheaper. And that's been the number one. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's it needs it's a grassroots movement that I think is growing. People saying, let's not. Uh, believe everything we're told let's understand ourselves let's find out about real food let's educate our kids about real food let's start from scratch and you know and if you can actually cook yourselves some raw ingredients you don't need to rely on uh labels i mean that's the other thing you know yeah and, and if, if every kid learned this is school uh, and then now there are home you know increasing numbers of these these uh, food kits that you can get so if you you say i want to try being a month vegetarian i said well i can't what I can do is cheese on toast. You know, um, there are, you can buy these meal kits now that would just step-by-step -step instructions on how to cook fantastic vegetarian meals. So I think, you know, everyone who hasn't made that shift, because, you know, when I went veggie, I couldn't cook veggie meals. I needed some help. And that I think is, is a, a big way of doing it, empowering people, not only to pick the right foods, but also know how to cook all these vegetables together to make fantastic dishes. Would you ever serve fast food to your family and do you ever eat it? Um, yes, I would I serve it to them. Uh, like McDonald's, like would you ever buy, like I would never. I, 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 I yeah, I, I gave McDonald's to my son for 10 days solid. That's yeah, so what, but that was for a study. That was for a study, like in general life, do you ever choose McDonald's or any or Taco Bell or serve it to your kids? If you had little kids today, knowing what you know, would you ever serve your six-year-old McDonald's? Uh, no, but I realize you probably couldn't protect them forever against it. Mm -hmm. So um, rather than them running away and getting it, I might in a way do it as an experiment with them and say, this is what you know, McDonald's tastes like, so you don't feel like the only kid who doesn't have a TV, you know, or, uh, uh, so I think it's part of, it'd be better to do it and say, well, listen, this is how they make a chicken nugget, you know, and show them a video. Um, this is what, the, the, the way, the reason this, you know, 
the, the bun is so tasty is basically it's full of sugar. Um, you know, all these little facts and the only fiber is in that little gherkin bit. Um, yeah, but uh, other than that, no, I, I wouldn't. I, but I, I would feel, you know, I'd want to show them how to cook basic dishes with vegetables, how to cook, uh, you know, chop up onions, you know, make a stir fry, do all this kind of stuff. I think that, that, that really should be the duty of a parent now. Like, you know, it happens in other Mediterranean countries, but uh, we've lost it in, in our countries, you know. I don't think you've ever been to Ohio here in Cincinnati. Let me tell you, a lot of that type of stuff ain't happening. You do ribs. You do ribs and barbecue, don't you? We do. And um, a big thing here, which people in Cincinnati... Yes. How do you know that? Have you been here before? I used to, no, I used to work with Procter & Gamble, so I used to come there, yeah. Oh, yeah. Skyline chili on a hot dog with cheese on top of it. And then we also do it on top of spaghetti chili as well. So it's like spaghetti noodles chili, cheese, and a bunch of other stuff in it. Mm, mm, mm. I, I, I ate it all. But uh, yeah, as, as a novelty, if you're a tourist going to Cincinnati, you have it once, out of the way, then you go back to real food. Okay, so in general, um, if uh, so I was recently told I had a lot of um, kidney infections like two years ago. I, I was hospitalized three times in 12 months for bad kidney infections. And so since then, they've told me never to take ibuprofen again. So what is the damage in my mind? Like if I have inflammation and I need to take ibuprofen, is the ibuprofen I'm taking messing up my body more than the um, anti-inflammatory properties that I'm benefiting from? Does that make sense? Which one's worse, which one's better? Well, it's, it's the trade-off and you got to work out, you know, the obviously, taking ibuprofen increases your risk of getting infections, but it doesn't cause them, okay? Okay, okay. Uh, so it, it's not a direct cause. Um, you know, you also need the bugs and other things to happen. And it, you may be fine with a short course of, if you're in real pain and you find it's the only thing that works, but you know, you obviously we wanted to try Tylenol first rather than ibuprofen, you know, look ways around it. In general, you know, you always want to reduce medication use to its minimum anyway. That's sensible. Um, and, you know, yeah, who knows? Maybe try next time with probiotics and, uh, or uh, with lots of kefir, you know? You, you just uh, have a, a nice pot of kefir every time you uh, pop an ibuprofen and see what happens. Uh, you know, we're all experimenting. We don't, we, no one knows the answers to this. Your, your doctor's just been cautious because they don't want you to get infections. but they probably don't care, you know, if you have pain. <laughs> so um, it's it's all you know. I I, so I was a rheumatologist, so I always had all the gastro guys were telling my patients never take any pain medication, and they're saying, well, I can't walk, doctor. What do I do? So you know, um, uh, yeah. it's always a trade-off. How do you feel about gluten intolerance? Everyone being gluten-free now, and how do you feel about gluten intolerance in general? Um, I think it's been hyped up by the the food industry so that's the other problem that they're, they're making huge amounts of money on gluten-free products and it's a whole new line of uh foods for them yeah, that yeah. generally cost two or three times as much so you've got to realize that uh, commercial uh pressure is driving a lot of this and uh you know nine out of ten people who are gluten intolerant do not have um gluten allergy and uh, 
which means when you uh, only, and I think studies have shown only about a third of them when you test them with gluten actually uh, have a bad effect. So uh, some of those people it's real in others it's, it's imagined. Um, that's, the, that's the reality of it. So really? I think, um, yeah, so I'm, I, I, I think people need to calm down about it and realize that it, you know, it may just be what they're eating. Maybe they're eating really bad sandwiches with all kinds of other stuff with bad bread. Uh, they just need to look at the quality of what they're eating rather than blaming everything on wheat or whatever it is. No, but, but what if they read wheat belly? Like I got halfway through wheat belly and was like, okay, I can't eat it, you know? You know, you read that book and you're like, the gluten is ruin the, ruining the world, but you're saying like, no, it's not that isolated. Well, never believe any, anyone who's got a simple solution to the world's uh, health and nutrition problems is never correct, okay? It's, uh, as I said at the beginning, it's complex. Anyone is blaming one thing, you can blame iron, you can blame gluten, you can blame microplastics, you can you know, uh, blame the Chinese, you, know, you can do whatever you like, but it's never gonna be a simple thing. And you write a book around one single factor and make it get a bestseller, but it's, it's never gonna be the truth uh, because you know, we're complicated beings. We're meant to be omnivores. You know, we were um, brought up that way. And so we need to take a global view of what we're doing. And, and what I hate about this reductionism is saying well, everything's gluten, everything's this, you know, everything's this chemical. It's not enough magnesium. I haven't got enough zinc. I haven't done this. You know, it's missing the point. The point is if you've got a really good varied diet on your plate, you're going to feed your microbes right. They'll produce thousands of good chemicals, boost your immune system, and everything else falls into place. And you can do that a number of different ways. But you can't do it if you're restricting everything, if you're frightened about eating, and you know, you're know you on this really uh, crazy restricted diet where you're taking out most of the good stuff. I think we were fighting how much people can actually understand and how much they care about what you're saying, health and gut health, which is the most important thing to humans, health is wealth, right? So how do you empower and teach people these things when everyone is on a different level of education and or interest? So you gotta simplify it in order to reach as much people, hopefully for the greater good. But if that's not possible, then aren't these other linear avenues important in ways if they're doing some good? Not unless they're, you know, helping identify food quality and things like gluten are not. They're driving people to more ultra processed food alternatives. So actually they're having a negative effect. And uh, that's, that's my worry. They're just getting ultra processed food reformulated, another form more expensive and restricting diets. So I think some of these things are actually harmful. Yeah. Very few of these fads are increasing people's diversity of whole foods, you know, increasing the organic movement, increasing uh, people's knowledge about what good food is. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the key. So that's what I want to reverse. And I think that's what uh, hopefully people will remember, you know, from this chat is uh, there isn't a simple solution other than, you know, look after your gut microbes and, you know, and we're all unique. And, the, and uh, those two things are the, are the central thing. And there isn't a quick fix. This is, you know, you've got to do things that are going to be sustainable for years. And that's really the, 
the mission now. Well, this is great. This has been amazing. We've talked for a very long time. Thank you very much for giving me 90 minutes of your time. I feel like I can talk to you all day. And um, as this is a great passion of mine as well. And thank you for teaching me so much. And hopefully everybody else is learning a lot as well. So my pleasure. And uh, yeah, so people can follow me on, on Instagram. I can follow uh, Zoe on Instagram. And there's the, obviously the joins website if people want to uh, go and uh, get tested like you have. Um, so then, and uh, you know, find out for themselves what it's all about. And I would also recommend your Twitter game is strong as well. So you're an expert in very many things and you're very vocal on Twitter, which is very interesting to follow. Twitter's so. all about COVID though. So we're trying to forget that. Oh, no, but hey, no, but that's a complex issue that's, you know, that's ripe that we have to- that's have. Not, that's not, I got, I can, we, we can't start that conversation. We'll have to do I another know. one on that. We will not. Okay. And well, there you have it. I feel throughout that conversation, he was like, you need to stop obsessing over these, over these specific issues. Look at the broad picture which is huge. I know I do that personally, and I think a lot of us do in general. And that's the key that I'm taking out of this is to diversify and not overwhelm yourself with so much information on one topic. Look at the entire broad spectrum and remember that how you're feeling in your body and how your food reacts to what you're putting, how your body reacts to the food you're putting in it is the most important thing. So health is wealth, babes. Love, light, whatever it is you do today, make yourself proud, like, subscribe, follow, share, all those things. Remember to follow Tim on Instagram and at Tim.Spector and also at JoinZoe, Facebook at JoinZoe and online at JoinZoe.com. And my Zoe evaluation recap will be coming up here in a couple of weeks. All right. We'll talk to you next time. This episode is sponsored in part by U.S. Bank. What if I told you you could get cash back just for being yourself? The U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card lets you customize your rewards to maximize your cash back. Receive up to 5% cash back on the two reward categories that best fit your lifestyle and adjust your cash back selections each quarter as your spending changes. Learn more at usbank.com slash cash plus. Whether you're a movie buff or a gym rat, a foodie or a techie, a homebody or a jet setter, you can earn 5% cash back doing the things you love. Just be yourself and get rewarded. Plus, you'll get 2% cash back on one everyday category like gas stations, EV charging stations, groceries or restaurants. Apply now at usbank.com slash cash plus and discover how you can get a $200 cash back bonus. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply.